0: Well, the holidays are over. We're continuing our study through the book of Hebrews. And we come to chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. And just as a reminder of what the author has been doing, he's basically been taking your Old Testament, and most of the content in your Old Testament is dealing with the the giving of the Old Covenant and life in the Old Covenant, Israel living in, in relationship with God through the Old Covenant... He's been taking that and and looking at it all in light of the arrival, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's been explaining to us what all that meant, how it all pointed to Jesus, how those who were under the Old Covenant were to look forward to Jesus' arrival and how Jesus brings the New Covenant. And so what we've seen is, for instance, Moses was the mediator of the Old Covenant, and it teaches us that Jesus is the great mediator of the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, we saw that after Exodus and getting the covenant, they finally made it to the Promised Land. Joshua brought them and gave them a measure of rest in the Promised Land. That foreshadowed how Jesus is the great leader of God who gives us ultimate rest in the ultimate Promised Land. We saw in the Old Covenant that... The, uh, there were priests. The priests served as mediators between God and humanity, offering sacrifices to cover their sins, a- administering the blessings of God to the people. We saw how the priests, the writer of Hebrew tells us, foreshadow and picture for us and anticipate for us Jesus, who is the great high priest, who enters in... But- ...as the mediator between God and man. We see that the priests offer sacrifices for sin. It allowed the presence of the glory of the the holy glory of God... ...to dwell in the holy of holies among a sinful people... ...because the sacrifices provide a measure of atonement for sin. And that was the foreshadowing of Jesus... ...who is God's perfect sacrifice... ...who gives the the once for all sacrifice for sins... ...that we as an unholy people may enjoy and draw near to the holiness of God and that's what the author has been doing over and over explaining to us how the old covenant relates to the new covenant how it's not a bad covenant there was tremendous blessings in the old covenant but that it was all pointing to and superseded by the new covenant Jesus is the mediator of the greater covenant the new covenant And that last particular aspect that I was talking about, how Jesus' sacrifice compared to the priestly sacrifices, is where the author goes today. And really this is kind of the final culminating work of of the writer of Hebrews, his theology and Jesus and the sacrifice. And so today he's going to focus our attention on a couple of aspects related to, to the sacrifice of sin and how that affects our mindset with guilt and with how do we think about life and and our relationship to God when we sin as believers. We can see his main point clearly stated in verse 9, verse 10, verse 18. Let me read those for you. And he just makes the point right out. He says, Jesus takes away the first covenant in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Then in verse 18, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. The point of the text today is this, don't miss this, Jesus' death on the cross is the one and only offering acceptable to God for your sin and when he died, it was finished. It was done once and for all. His blood covered the sins of all eternity, eternity past and eternity future. When there's forgiveness, there's no other offering for sin. So I ask you today, did you come in here to make an offering to God to try to cover some guilt? Maybe, maybe you made a New Year's resolution. I'm going to work out. I'm going to take better care of my body. I'm going to eat better. And, and before you got to the New Year, you had it all planned out. I'm going I'm to eat right. I'm going to exercise. I heard Ham's sermon. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the Scriptures. I'm going to live a holy life. I'm going to make good choices. And then New Year's Eve... I'm going to make the right choices and you find yourself in a New Year's Eve event and the the flow of the stream is taking you somewhere you don't really want to go but you find yourself going there and then late at night you go to bed you wake up late New Year's Day. And you've got guilt on your mind because of what happened the previous night. You've got guilt on your mind because you've already missed your quiet time that you had said you were going to have. You've got guilt on your mind because you don't feel like praying after what's on your mind. You don't want to read the scriptures, but you know you should read your scriptures. So, so honestly, we're not off to a good start. And we got guilt. And so Sunday rolls around, and by golly, I'm going to go to church, and we're going to take care of some of this guilt. How do you operate, how do we think as believers about sin and guilt and, and the sacrifice and how do, I, how do I deal with all of this? That's where the author is going today. He wants us to understand how we as believers in Jesus Christ who, who sing about the blood of Jesus Christ, that it covers our sin, but what do we do with the guilt? And that's where the author goes today. He wants us to know how to deal with guilt. He wants to help us understand how to think about sin, how to think about guilt, and most importantly, how to deal with it properly. And this, if you haven't gotten this right, and I would guess that the majority of us in here don't know how to do this. And it's going to change your life. And I'm not overselling it. So let's begin by looking at the author's description of the Old Covenant sacrificial system. Now don't tune out and say, okay, I'll pay attention when I get to the New. No, the way your Bible works, the way this author especially works is if you understand the Old Covenant, then you're going to really understand the fullness of Jesus in the New Covenant. And so first we need to understand how it worked in this Old Covenant so then we can translate that into a better understanding a full understanding of the new covenant. So let's first look at how the old covenant system worked. Look at verses 1 through 10 of chapter 1 through 4 of chapter 10. He says for the law referring to the old covenant, the law since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of the things in other words since the law was just pointing to the new covenant he says they can never can Never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, they can never make perfect those who draw near. They just can't make perfect. Otherwise, duh, would they not have ceased to be been offered because these worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, the bulls and goats of the Old Covenant, in those sacrifices... There is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So let me just pull out four facts about the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant system, remember what that is. Priests brought the blood of bulls and goats. When when a person sinned, they said, Doggone it. Got the goat, took it to the priest, sliced its throat spilled the blood, handed it to the priest. The priest laid that on the altar of the fire, and he burned it representing the, the uh, elimination of the guilt due, the sin that that person committed. So he's saying under that system, four things I want to point out. First of all, it made nobody perfect. And that's the problem. That's where everything else is related to. It made no one perfect. Number two, it did not offer a one-time cleansing Number three, it did not eliminate the consciousness of sin. They knew it. I'm guilty. And I can't get rid of that feeling because I know I'm guilty. Number four, it provided a constant reminder of their sins year by year, hour by hour, day by day, sacrifice by sacrifice. It was a constant reminder of their sins. And so that's a summary of the Old Covenant sacrificial system. And he's going to say, that's not bad. And this is what I struggled with as I studied this, is I wanted to say, yeah, that's bad. It's totally different than new. No, that was all considered a blessing. So what we see is that it did not make them perfect. It did not cleanse them. It did not cleanse their conscience. And it did not, and it only served to remind them continually of their sin. So what we see is he summarizes it in verse 4, the Old Covenant system, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what we see is since the blood that they were spilling, the blood of bulls and goats did not take away sins. It did not cleanse their conscience. It did not make them perfect. Therefore, all it really served to do, one of the main things was to constantly remind them of their sin. But remember, the Old Covenant was not a bad thing. It was a great blessing that God gave them, the Old Covenant. So let's think about this and say, how is that a blessing? Well, for one, we saw in the Old Covenant as Israel was brought out of Exodus, out of Egypt, in the Exodus event... They were a crazy, scattered people. They were worshiping the calf. They were unorganized and out of control. And when you read the scriptures, what you see is when they exit out of the... the, When they finally enter into the promised land and leave Mount Sinai, you see they're in an orderly fashion. The law and the covenant brought about order to a people. It prescribed a means of worship. It provided for them a means for atonement so that the holiness of God and the glory of God could dwell in the holy of holies among an unholy people. So there was a great blessing because it provided a measure of atonement, a measure, a restraining effect on the wrath of God, and it brought order to their lives as a people and so there was tremendous blessing. And so what we see, Well, how was this repeated, insufficient sacrifice of animals, how was that a blessing? How is it good for them to be reminded over and over of their sin? Well, we see it provided a deterrent from sin. It helped keep them as a people from killing each other. It helped keep them from devastation and destruction, the practical consequences of sin. That's one of the blessings of giving God God, the will of God. It keeps, it preserves us as a people. And so think about the practical consequences. Depending on your social economic status, if you were poor, you could sacrifice a bird. If you had the means, you were to sacrifice a goat. And so think about it. Every time you sinned, you look over and you're like, man, there goes another goat, there it goes these things are costly. These are my livelihood. It's just practical here for a minute. It, you, you had to slaughter another precious goat, and so what they do, they grab the unblemished, the good ones, not the rejects, the good ones, and they would lift it up and they'd take it to the outer court. They'd take it to the priest, and they would. It says in the scriptures that they would slice the neck of the goat, and they would pray, Lord, accept the innocent blood. Of this animal as my substitute. Take his blood instead of mine. And so there was a goriness to it that you wouldn't want to participate in, there was a costliness to it a financial cost, a time cost. You had to stop everything, go and sacrifice. And so their whole system, their whole religious system was built around this means of worship, this sacrificial system. So there was a practical deterrent to sin in their constant, repeated sacrifice. And every time they thought about sinning, don't you know the blood and the gore was was in their mind? And what did this serve to remind them that we know from scriptures? The wages of sin... Is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, what it should have prompted in their heart was I am wicked and sinful, and I need a substitute. And that should have prompted them them worship, anticipating the coming, the arrival of the substitute, Jesus. They knew him as the Messiah. They knew him as the son of David, the son of Abraham. All of this was to point them and to foreshadow the arrival of the Messiah, who would be the great high priest, who would give his own blood as the once for all substitute for sin. And so it served as a deterrent both practical and spiritual, a deterrent to sin. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, think about that as we begin to think about these things. And so these deterrent to sin, he says, now when Jesus arrived, he was the one sacrifice that he does what they could not do. He eliminates sin, he cleanses the conscience, he takes care of your sin problem once and for all. And so he's going to make that point in the next verses. He's going to make it with three Old Testament passages. Now why does he use three Old Testament passages to make virtually the same point over and over and over? Because they have the same problem we have. You just don't want to believe that the sacrifice of Jesus really does cover your sin. You may may spend half your life Just trying to believe it covers that sin in the past. You know that sin. I don't know it. For some of you, I know it. You've shared it with me. But there's a sin or sins in your past that you just can't believe Jesus, his death, forgives you of that. They don't even deal with the future. I don't even mention the fact that he's going to tell you in this text that his blood on the cross forgives you of the sin you're going to commit today, tomorrow, the next day. You can't even think about that because you're still hung up on the sin of the past. That's why he's going to tell you once, twice, three times. This is truth. And so let's look how he does it. He does it with three Old Testament passages. The first Old Testament passage he quotes is in verses 5 through 10. He's quoting from Psalm forty. He says in verse 5, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says... Now, he's referring to Jesus. He's putting the words of Psalm 40 in the mouth of Jesus. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come... Jesus says in the scroll of the book, it is written of me, the scriptures testify of me to do your will, O God. And the writer of Hebrews says, now after saying sacrifices and offerings and whole burn offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. The writer of Hebrews says, then he, Jesus says, behold, I have come to do your will. And then he explains He takes away the first in order to establish the second. He takes away the first covenant in order to establish the second covenant. By this will, we have been sanctified. That word means set apart as holy. By this will, the will of God through Jesus, we have been set apart as holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once For all. Did you follow what he's doing? He's taking this Psalm 40, which was a prophecy about a time when the Messiah would come and his death would be, according to the will of God, a completely new system that did away with the Old Covenant, that established the New Covenant, and in the New Covenant, the blood of this one who would come, naming Jesus, his blood would forgive sin, set apart the people of God as holy once for all. Always. Not just you, not just me, but your father, your forefathers, the people who lived under the old covenant system, every person who's ever been sanctified, who's ever been made holy, whose ever sins has been forgiven, it was through the blood of the God-man who took on flesh and died on the cross about 2,000 years ago. And it served to sanctify God's people once and for all. Yeah, that sin in the past that you can't get over, that you can't seem to lay aside. He says it was the will of God for God to take on a body and put in a completely new system. And in this system, that body of God was sacrificed so that the blood of God was shed for that sin. get Over it. I don't know if I believe that. Y'all believe that? I'm going to need more evidence. Let's go to another one. Old Testament passage number two he quotes is in verses 11 through 14. Here he's comparing the two priestly duties. He said, under the old system, every priest stands daily ministering, offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. They helped. They provided a level of atonement, a measure of blessing so that God's presence could be there, but they could not take take the sins away symbolically they would lay hands on that goat and let it go in the wilderness, symbolically taking it away, but it didn't take it away. And they knew it. And that's why they continued to do the offering over and over and over and over. Verse 12, but he, referring to Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all times, for their sins, For your forefathers' sins, for your past sins, for your future sins. He offered himself one time for all sins, and then he did what? He sat down. He's not back up every time you sin, well, let me do this again. No, he sat down, it's done. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father of God, waiting, as we saw earlier in Hebrews, he's waiting on the edge of his seat, vengeance in his eyes, to come back and judge his enemies. Not you if you're his child. He's not coming back to judge you. He's coming back to judge his enemies. It says he's waiting until his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. Quoting all this from, verse, from Psalm 110. The writer of Hebrews explains For by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. His one-time offering on the cross about 2,000 years ago is the only offering that ever made anyone holy for all times. Anyone who's who's set apart holy. Anyone who is sanctified. It was by that one. There's one sacrifice for all times. And we want to come up in here and make an offering. We want to come up in here and offer something to God for for our sin to cover that. We think, well, that wasn't good enough for me. I'm special. I'm different. You don't know what I did. He does. So we need more evidence. So he gives us another one. Third Old Testament passage making virtually the same point. Pounding it in over and over and over. Get over the guilt. Get over the condemnation. Stop beating yourself up. Stop crucifying. Stop trying to overcome it in your own efforts. Listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us For after saying, and then he's quoting Jeremiah 31, which is a prophecy looking forward to the time Jesus would come and offer the new covenant. Don't get lost in the passages here. He says, after saying this in Jeremiah, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart, and I will put it in their mind. I will write them. Then he says, and their sins, because they sinned. And their lawless deeds, because you have lawless deeds and I have lawless deeds and sins. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Amen. So from the Old Testament, the author of Hebrew is making the same point again. Quoting Jeremiah 31, 31-34. And he says in this new covenant which does away with the old introduces a whole new system it's pictured in the old it's foreshadowed in the old it's prophesied in the old it creates a longing for the new it creates faith in the Messiah who will come and do these things in the new. What will he do? God will remember your sins no more. And Because of that, he will fill you with his own presence. The Spirit of God, when you place your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ as the only offering that satisfies the wrath of God due on your sin, the Spirit of God says, I no longer remember that. I consider you a cleansed vessel and I will move in and take residence in your temple. And guess what the Spirit of God does as it relates to sin and guilt? He does the same thing that that repeated blood sacrifice does. Over and over, he says, that will destroy you. That will cost you everything. That sin is awful, it is wicked, and it will ruin you. It costs your money, it costs your time, it costs your family, it costs your relationships. Turn away from that trash. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, but he does not condemn. Key difference The Holy Spirit convicts you of the devastation of sin, of the costliness of sin, of the fact that the wages of sin is death, but he does not condemn you as guilty. That's the enemy. The enemy says, you're worthless trash. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, that will destroy you. That will destroy your family. That will destroy your relationships. That is awful. That is wicked. That is a, a farce. That is foolishness. That is mockery of the cross. That is shaming the name of God and the glory of God. Do not do it. But you're not condemned. Is that crazy? You are not condemned Though it is that destructive, you are not guilty and held against you if you are covered by the blood of Christ. You deserve death. You deserve destruction. I deserve death. I deserve destruction for the sins that I have committed. And the Holy Spirit tells me, that's why you don't do it. But then he says, and that's why Jesus died. That's why the blood of Jesus was spilled and covered and it's done. It's settled. It's forgiven. You're declared righteous. You're considered holy. The Spirit of God lives within you. It is gone. It is finished. Do you hear me? Get over your guilt if you are in Christ. Because if you don't get over the guilt, you are of very little value to his service. You sit and you don't come in here to worship him and to praise him and to sing his praises. Your whole religious life is built around guilt and condemnation. You come here thinking you're working something off. He says where there is, no, where there is forgiveness, there is no offering. Do you really think you've got something that you can offer better than the blood of God? You can't offer anything better than that. Get over yourself. You're not good enough to hold this against yourself. You need to understand there is only one offering acceptable to God, and it's God himself. And that's why he came. You can't hold this against yourself because you're not that good. God doesn't hold it against you. He held it against himself. He held it against his son. That's why he died the brutal death. And so you come in here not to work something off, But to praise God that he doesn't hold it against you. You come in here not less than me. Not like, oh, I'm not good enough. You aren't good enough. I'm not good enough. But in Christ, we are made good enough. Praise God. Let me hear you praise God for the gospel. Amen? Amen. That's why we exist as a church. Because God makes us righteous in Christ despite us. That's why we sing songs, weird songs about blood. Because it's what makes us righteous. That's why we give money. Because it spreads the message about this gospel righteousness. That's why you give time and energy to volunteer. There's people all in these back rooms right now teaching kids, you're made holy by the blood of Christ. It changes their lives. It changes your life. If you are here to offer something to God to work off your sins, you've missed the point. That's not why we're here. We're here to say, God offered what I needed for my sin. And it covered that sin in the past that I hate And that I'm having a hard time getting over. But I need to get over it so I can serve God. What am I going to praise God about if I am the one working off my sin? Praise God that I did it. What am I singing to God about if I am the one that's good enough to overcome my own sin problem? I got nothing to praise God about. Because it's all about me. And that's what exalts pride and leads to judgmental attitudes. That's not what this place is about. This place is God-exalting, Jesus-exalting. He covered my sin. I got nothing to judge you about. I'm not looking at you in judgment ever unless I'm in sin, and then you can judge me. We are here on equal ground. We are all sinners. Without the shedding of his blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That is the message of your Bible. That is your life message. When you buy into that, and there's many of you here today that have understood this for the first time right now. When we talked about this message week after week after week in Galatians, people got saved all over the place. Praise God. I want that to happen again. And when you get it, it changes your life. Prayer is not, oh God, please. It's praise God. How can I serve you, Lord? How can I let this become every ounce of my being? How can that humble me and exalt you and propel me to serve you and to be motivated by thanksgiving and love and appreciation and worship, to to lay my life down for others, to know this same message, to meet needs, to bring the peaceful reconciliation of Christ in places of turmoil, to bring uh, bring material possessions to those who don't have it. Why? Because he brought me everything when I had nothing. It defines your life. It motivates your life. It is who you are from this point forward. It transforms you. If this gospel is not transforming you, then you're missing part of it. Dwell on it. Meditate on it. Think about it deeply. Pray about it. Study it. Research it. Go to classes. Go to, sit in the kids' classes. Do whatever it takes. Understand this gospel. Because this is what life is all about. I hope I've painted this huge picture to say, now, that little sin, get over it. But understand, when you sin, it destroys you. It destroys you. It destroys people. It destroys relationships. It makes a mockery of the cross. It's serious. This gospel does not minimize sin. This gospel does not make you think, well, good, sin all the more. If if that's what you think, you don't got it. You don't have the Spirit of God living in you. He does not tell you that. So where are you today? I have the best news anyone's ever told you. Your sin can be washed clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we praise you for the gospel. May our lives be more and more defined by the gospel. May this good news that the one-time offering of your Son, the God who took on flesh, his holy, infinitely righteous, perfect blood, may the one-time offering of his blood Realizing that that and that alone gives final and full forgiveness for all my sins of the past and all my sins in the future. And upon realizing that and believing that and embracing Him, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Filling us with your spirit, taking residence in our lives, then transform us that we may draw near to you. Transform the way we view our possessions, transform the way we view our purpose. Transform the way we view church attendance, Bible study, physical fitness, dietary habits. May everything we do and make resolutions to do be informed by and motivated by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray.